Welcome back to Square Horror. I am your Duke of Spook, Danny. I'm the master of ceremonies, Matt. We're back. We promise we're back. This is we not, have we returned. Not over. Yeah, we've returned. We have had a busy couple of weeks, but we are back and ready to talk about horror movies with all y'all out there. And Danny, I feel like. I don't know about you, but I've been going through some pretty big life transitions. One of the reasons we haven't recorded in a while. I just finished up school. I just moved back home. All of this mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, you've been having a pretty hectic couple of weeks. And uh, I think that there's just no better, more like lighthearted, fun <laughs> romp of a movie that we could be talking about. More than, than the crazies. The crazies. <laughs> For yeah, the movie with the tagline of Fear Thy Neighbor, what could possibly go wrong? It's not even an understatement to say more than you're willing to ever imagine could go <laughs> wrong. It's, it's like, so much of your life could be upended and you have no fucking clue, and this movie just really puts that thought into your head, especially at a time when, like, Things are not very secure, and you're just like, oh, wow, everything could just get, like, blown away in a blink of an eye, and there's absolutely nothing that you could do about it. And it's like, ha wow! Yeah. Well, this and, is like, be this a funny movie, episode. I want to put, put it out there really, really early, that this movie was both um, critically and financially a success when it came out in mm-hmm. 2010. Um, it ended up grossing uh, $55 million on a $20 million budget, which, as we know, horror movies are great because they make their money back because they're not costing $300 million to produce Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, they had a, cr- a pretty solid critical response, which um, the critical summary on Rotten Tomatoes um, still calls it a tense, nicely shot, and uncommonly intelligent film. Yeah, I, I think one of the really cool things I kept finding about this is, you know, obviously we're coming back to our wonderful world of remakes, um, this being a remake of a George Romero of Night of the Living Dead uh, yes. director film from the 1970s. Um, and it's one, I, I feel like I really like doing the remakes of movies that, uh, are, were kind of underground hits or maybe a little older than the conventional horror hits. But mm-hmm. even in terms of those remakes, I mean, this is 2010, you know, we've covered some of the horror remakes from the early 20, uh, 2000s and 2010s. And mm-hmm. as much as we like them, a lot of times they don't do very commercially well or critically well, especially and every time yes. I look at this movie, it, everyone's just saying, like, wow, this is really good. And mm-hmm. it is, because um, it, it it really just sticks with you in ways that you don't expect. And it's, it's not, yeah, it's not what you expect. Because I was telling Matt before we recorded, because I hadn't seen this movie until uh, earlier today when I was watching it to get ready for recording today. And I had always seen, like, the poster and the cover art on the dvd yeah and i was just like oh this is just gonna be like a run-of-the-mill slasher movie <sighs> with just like some pitchfork kills i could not be more wrong yeah and i mean <laughs> i oh and frankly i was really glad to be wrong because this movie is so compelling in what it is rather than what i thought it was and i'm really glad i didn't see this movie when i was like 16 like i almost did 
because um, I would not have been able to handle this. Speaking would, to someone this would have freaked me out. <laughs> who did watch this movie when they were 16, uh, maybe even a little bit younger. Um, I don't know about you, but at the very least, when I was younger, I felt like a little bit more insulated uh, from some of the more existentially dreadful motifs in, in movies mm-hmm. like this. Uh, I, I mentioned to you earlier um, Garth Ennis's Cross, and for those of you that know, um, Garth Ennis wrote The Boys, uh, very mm-hmm. popular Prime TV show, started out as comic books. Um, Crossed is one of the worst things I've ever read. Uh, it still gives me very vivid, vivid nightmares. And um, it, it's just like... When a movie like this, and it's what we've talked about before with, like, The Purge, like, you and I in, like, private conversations, um, mm-hmm. what's what's so scary to me about something that is, pits neighbor against neighbor or sees, like, a relatively normal community disrupted by just, like, inexplicable violence mm-hmm. is it's it's hard when a movie is shot so well and grounded in such realism to separate fact from fiction and like reality from, from fiction, I think is more like, yeah. So when I say the movie sticks with me, it it sticks with me in that same way that I, that it did when I read cross, which is very similar. We'll get into with the, the themes of this movie and the plot of this movie in that, like there's nothing really scarier to me than arbitrary violence on such a massive scale. It's almost like if every resident of Gotham City became the Joker, even mm-hmm. just for an hour, think about just oh. the level of terror and the level of violence. And I'm not just talking in terms of, like, comic book. I'm talking in terms of, like, to have the level of psychopathy of someone like the Joker, who just has mm-hmm. no inhibitions, no moral compass, and doesn't care what they do or who they hurt or how they do it, once those inhibitions are gone, there really is just nothing. There's no limits. And and that sort of limitless potential for, like, darkness really frightens me in a way that I can't really describe. And Mm -hmm. this movie plays with that in in a way that it... It's, it doesn't completely hit you over the head with it, but it's there. And at least for yeah. me, it really just, it hits me harder now that I'm an adult than I did, than it did maybe when I was a teenager. And mm-hmm. I feel like maybe in that way, for some people, it might be scarier. In some ways, it might be more interesting in terms of like an action movie. But um, well, yeah, those themes are like, there. <laughs> well, like for me, this movie takes place in like a small farming community in the middle of Iowa. Uh, right Which, where we uh, went to school it's literally where we like, could have gone to school man well and also it reminds me a little bit sometimes of the uh farming communities that surround me at the moment at present where i work right and i'm just like this could just happen and what the fuck would i do i mean i don't want to you know put nightmares in your head the way that they have been in mine but like imagine that it wasn't a farming community imagine that it was like an urban environment like, how much worse it could have been, you know? Yeah. Like, like it's just, that's what I mean, where it's like, the the implications of this movie, at least to me, just haunt me so much, and I don't really know why. <laughs> well, I think, it, I mean, it makes sense why, because 
we like we think about how things can go. Yeah. We watch a lot of horror movies. We're writers. We yeah. understand how <laughs> good plots could go. We like and to push things it'll too. Fuck with us. Like we like to go like, oh, that's cool. How much more horrifying? Like how many more dials can we turn? How much it up worse in terms... can it get? Exactly. And at least for you and me, you know, we really appreciate that that human element to to horror and. When a movie is able to capture that, especially when it's telling a, a story like this, it almost mm-hmm. makes it so much more emotionally moving because you're seeing it from the lens of people that you could know, be people that could be just like you, that might have the same sort of responses that you do. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know, that just... I did not expect that. And we'll get into it with production, but like nobody expected that from this movie or this director. Yeah. So, um, this, this remake, it's a remake of a 1973 George Romero film. You know, George Romero Mm. obviously is very pop is very well known for popularizing zombies in modern pop culture. He directed night of the living dead, dawn of the dead, day of the dead. Um, he, uh, all the deads. Yeah. All of the deads. Uh, George Romero passed away, I think within the last, uh, five to 10 years or so, I believe. Yeah. Right? Something like that. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's passed away, but at this point, but uh, he's yeah, he one of those. passed away in 2017. Yeah. He, he's a prolific horror director and he truly is, you know, he changed the landscape. So mm-hmm. we'll talk more about him more someday, but at least in terms of the remake, we're going to be centered around uh, this team in particular. So the film was directed by Michael Breckenridge Eisner, uh, who goes by Breck Eisner. Very cool to know that he's the son of former Disney CEO Michael Eisner, who uh, led the company for most oh, of the shit. 90s. Yeah, right? Isn't that wild? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... That's an interesting connection I did not make about him. Holy shit. Well, because it was interesting because I was trying to look up more of what he's done and, like, through no fault of his own or, you know, he just hasn't done a lot of stuff. And the more that I looked at him, so he's previously done movies like Sahara and Vin Diesel's The Last Witch Hunter. Um, Mm -hmm. But he's got a very interesting history when it comes to projects that he almost did. So... He was slated to direct a number of other remake properties back in the day, either that never happened or that he backed away from, including a Creature from the Black Lagoon remake that never happened, uh, a Flash Gordon remake. Um, He also was slated to direct a remake of Escape from New York, the John Carpenter movie. Uh, He also, at one point, was supposed to direct the uh, Ouija movie. We covered the sequel, Ouija Origin of Evil. Uh, at mm-hmm. one point, he was very close to directing that movie, and he also was about to direct the uh, Jaden Smith Karate Kid remake. Uh, also, he backed away from that because he was ended Damn. up making The Last Witch Hunter. So he's just been around the the culture of remakes for a while, and mm-hmm. at least in terms of what he did with this movie, I would have been very interested to see what he would have done with any of these other properties, because not yeah, just in terms of, I mean. His attention to detail was very profound, at least from what I read in terms of crew. Um, I looked in terms of the makeup effects for this movie. Um, we'll get into the infection itself later on. The Trixie virus, which is uh, not nearly as fun as it sounds. 
so Eisner took special care in the makeup effects specifically. He wanted the inspirations for this virus to come specifically from medical textbooks. Um, in a quote that I found, it said that uh, the early visions of the infected were as zombies. So these quote-unquote crazies uh, were originally supposed to be more zombie-like. Um, but Eisner okay. and the makeup crew made a lot of molds and sketches for the infected. Um, and eventually they kind of didn't like the zombie look and they wanted to go for a more realistic look, specifically something that was more, quote, under the skin, in which the blood vessels Ooh. appear to be bursting forth from the face and the neck muscles, the tendons are a lot more tight. Um, he described this look as hyper-alive, which kind of reminds me of the zombies from 28 Days Later, the rage virus zombies. Oh, yeah. You know, so there's a lot more fluids, there's a lot more, like, manic energy to the face, the muscles are a lot tenser, and honestly, it's a lot scarier to me. Mm-hmm. So, um... Yeah, do the they le- look creepy? Oh, yeah. And especially the longer that they're infected, the worse they get. Like, the less human they look, the, like... The, the light in their eyes disappears, and mm-hmm. it just makes the violence... The, it gives it such a more nonchalant energy, which makes it way creepier. Yeah. So, well, the... Uh, and I'm pretty sure... I I think I read that, like, each person who was in one of the quote-unquote crazy designs had to, like, sit in a makeup chair for, like, three hours to be ready for filming. Oh, Yeah. And they each also had to get, like, added on, especially with the progression of the virus. Because mm-hmm. uh, as lead makeup artist Rob Hall says, he, you know, on uh, Eisner's um, attention to detail, he's like, if you were going to pitch something to Breck uh, about how one side of the face should look or, or what have you, Breck would immediately want to know what disease um, the inspiration for that look came from. Uh, what version of reality it could be implemented into this virus. Um, But the most important thing, he says, was to make sure that it felt real. He said, you know, you want to make it feel like you could get it too, that this illness Mm -hmm. could be passed to you. Um, And the basis for the makeup the whole crew used was mostly things like rabies, tetanus, and something called Stevens-Johnson syndrome, which I looked up, and uh, I obviously don't want to demonize anyone that has the the, the illness, but um, mm-hmm. the physical uh, presentation is kind of stomach-churning and um, very realistic. So their attention to make sure that it's something that you felt like you could catch uh, was very important, and I feel like that adds to just the groundedness that they set up this world in. Mm-hmm. So the uh, George Romero, the original creator of the movie, executive produced this movie, so it kind of has the unofficial seal of approval from the original artist. Um, and this remake, originally the story was written by Scott Kodak, who we've covered on the podcast before. He wrote the remake of the Amityville Horror with Ryan Reynolds, which again we know oh, is like, yeah. a very intense movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. He also yeah, wrote that, the... Uh, that's another one that doesn't pull punches. Exactly. And you know what else doesn't pull punches is the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 2003, which he also oh, wrote. Oh, yeah. He also was a, a story and script advisor on Bates Motel and The Haunting of Hill House. So again, he's just really good at like really making you sit in uncomfortability whenever he can. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, later editions of the script were touched up by Ray Wright, who uh, wrote the most recent movie Greta with Chloe Grace Moretz and a movie called Case 39, which is about uh, therapy. So one day we will cover Ooh. it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you know me. We got to cover all those movies. Yep. Uh, so in terms of the cast... Um, they do a very good job of humanizing and fleshing out all of the main characters and side characters of this small town community. But because of that, um, we're just going to stick with the ones that we're going to follow the closest. So there's a kind of a core cast of four characters. So -hmm. those are the actors I wanted to specifically spotlight. Um, So our main character, Sheriff David Dutton, uh, is played by Timothy Oliphant. What a guy. What a guy. Love Timothy Oliphant. He's been in just about anything you can think of. Most recently, um, Justified. Um, seeing a lot of commercials for the Justified Primeval series. Um, he was in The Perfect Getaway. Um, the Book um, of early Boba in his Fett. career, he was in Scream Two, as we oh, have yeah. to mention as a horror movie. Absolutely. Also, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Daisy Jones and the Six. And that's just within the last like three years. He's in mm-hmm. so much stuff. I've playing his in, in Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, I mean, he, I remember the one episode that he showed up in, like when he's wearing the armor. I'm like, he's just playing his character from Justified because he's so good at being like a lawman. Like he's really good at kind mm-hmm. of capturing that sort of energy. So him as a sheriff is chef's kiss, so good. I do need to also mention that he was in a few episodes of um, The Office. Um, because <laughs> one of the other characters in this movie, who we won't really get into a whole lot, uh, was also in uh, the, specifically the fifth season of The Office, where she played um, Lynn, who was uh, Kevin Malone's love interest for a couple episodes. Really? Um, which is how I immediately recognized her when she showed up on screen before she slapped Timothy Oliphant. Oh, shit! That's her? Yeah, that's her. <laughs> so... How so? Okay, so, so that scene later just has a lot more horrible context. Then, yes, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I, I guess we should say it um, if we haven't really implied it before. This movie uh, is very uh, heavy. It's a very emotionally dark. taxing, dark movie. <laughs> uh, not to say that that's a bad thing, because no, it's a gr- it is a great film it's very but it is not one to go in expecting a light-hearted anything no yeah you are in for a full ride when you watch this movie and we mentioned this uh to each other but um the movie is deceptively long in the sense that it feels like it should be almost over and then you realize we're not even halfway done (laughs) yes like there's so many points where i'm like can this movie be and oh we have 45 more minutes (laughs) Uh, So playing uh, Dr. Dutton, uh, Sheriff Dutton's wife, is uh, Rada Mitchell. She's also in quite a bit, including Finding Neverland, um, the live-action Silent Hill movie, um, another Vin Diesel movie, Pitch Black. uh, She was in the uh, Olympus Has Fallen movies. Yes, that's great. I also want to spotlight her for the Denzel Washington movie Man on Fire, which I only just recently watched while I was getting my tattoo a couple of weeks ago. Ooh, nice. 
Um, playing the sheriff's deputy, Russell, uh, we got Joe Anderson, who was in uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Legend of Hercules, um, the Beatles across the universe. Uh, he was with Liam Neeson in The Grey. He was also in the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part Duh. He's that oh, sulky amazing. tracker dude who just dips out all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's not sense. there much, but um, I went to look him up uh, on the Twilight Wiki, and his biography was really, really long. And it just made me remember and realize, I guess, that every single character in that movie that we don't really get to know a lot about has like a, such a rich backstory, and I just kind of want to show about all of those people. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was also in the Hannibal TV series for a handful of episodes. Nice. Man, speaking of Indiana Jones with uh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Yes. Uh, Mads Mikkelsen, what a guy. Man, you ever want a really good villain, just, like, cast just Mads Mikkelsen. call him up. And he'll do it, and he'll fucking wipe the floor with everything, because he's so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and lastly, playing Becca, uh, we got Danielle Pennebaker, who everybody would probably know from either the CW's Sky DC High. Universe, or yes, Sky High as well. Because <laughs> that's how I will always remember her. I mean, of course. She was also in the Friday the 13th remake in yes. 2009. Very true, very true. She also did several episodes of Justified with Timothy Oliphant. She also was in several episodes of Bones. Heck Yeah. Any I comment? She did Do you the remember whole CW her? Thing. No, I don't remember her from. Okay. Her, I think she, she was in um, uh, later seasons, and I watched. I never really watched past season four, and I think she was in season seven or eight. Gotcha. But yeah, she's she's all over the CW shows. She started off in the Flash. I know she's Killer Frost in some of the like other world oh, episodes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's been in all of those shows, um, very prolific career for her, and yes, of mm-hmm. course, Sky High is just a classic. Can we just cover well, Sky, Sky High, High after this? Is where is like she started. <laughs> yes, that's correct. Bro, I will happily talk about Sky High any day. I, I just, don't know how you know, to sell it as a horror movie, but let's do it. You know, maybe, uh, this is what I'll do, so... Uh, there's going to be some very dark moments to this movie. Maybe we can lighten those with just, like, some of our favorite scenes from Sky High. From Sky you know? High. Just to, like, bring everybody back to normal. Because, <laughs> like, I, I can talk about Sky High all the live long day, but... Um, oh, yeah. Especially when it comes to just, like, a just a good palate cleanser for, like... You know, when you just... Yeah, God. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to him. <laughs> He'll know when they'll come. Um, so, uh, I guess just as a, as a general overview, um, so the movie begins kind of at the end, uh, we see this, this town in, in flames. There's just anarchy, Mm -hmm. chaos has rolled through, and I feel like it sets a tone and a precedent where, like, we really can't understate how extensively the shit hits the fan in this movie. Like, it's just, it's, it's wild. (laughs) Yeah, it gets, it gets brutal. So, Um, we watched this. The first time we, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. ahead. Um, So the first time we meet our living characters at the beginning of their story is with um, Dr. Dutton talking with Becca about um, having to work that day. And Becca's like, 
hey, my aunt's in town and she's like really sick right now, so I gotta go home and like be with her. And uh, Dr. Dutton's just like, no, you can tell Scott that you'll just be a little late for his baseball game tonight. It's okay. Yeah, because, like... You can't leave right now. This is one of those small-town communities. Um, it's Ogden Marsh in, in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Where it's... It, the town is a cohesive community. You know, it's one of those places where, like, everybody comes out to the first baseball game of the season... For better or for worse, everybody knows everybody's business, and mm-hmm. at the very least, everybody kind of likes and or tolerates everyone because they're a member of the community. So everyone kind of yeah. has that sort of um, that se- I literally sense of community where you know you can trust your neighbors. You feel like you know your neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, we're about to watch this town go from nor- normal to inferno in a in literally just forty eight hours time. Yeah, like it's that fast. <laughs> well, and it all begins at that opening day baseball game where I love that one person's like, "It's not spring until it's opening day." Hell yeah, because that's that's a very real like small town feeling sometimes. Absolutely, and I kind of love it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but things kind of go awry when uh, a resident of the town named Rory starts walking into the outfield with a shotgun. Yeah, I mean, it it seems like it's not completely out of character for him. We learn pretty quickly that Rory, at least at one point, was like a deadbeat drunk. You know, mm-hmm. he tended to act out a lot when he would drink. Um, and, you know, David goes and confronts him and is trying to convince him to put this gun down. And he seems confused as to how he got there, uh, and like Mm -hmm. why he's even holding this gun. Um, but with any sudden movement, he raises the gun and he kind of forces David's hand and he's forced to, to defend himself. And he shoots Mm -hmm. Rory dead in front of like pretty much the whole town. In front of, yeah, a majority of the town, which kind of sets up a really interesting uh, position for David to be in, because there's an immediate disconnect from him with the town now, because he has shot someone. Everyone kind of understands why, but it's still a worry of, well, is that going to happen to one of us if something goes wrong, too? Yeah. Which, now that everything is going to go wrong, is a very genuine concern. It brings up this, like breaching of the social of the social contract that i feel like is something that i in my fucked up brain think about a lot in terms of like things are just normal until something Mm -hmm. something happens whether it's on purpose or an accident but as soon as it happens it it sends that shockwave through everybody that's like he could just kill us. Like anybody could yeah. just kill anybody at any time. And it's a scary thought. It's not a healthy thought to dwell on. Um, mm-hmm. but it's something that you're right. It just kind of, all of them are thinking about it now. And there's some weird surveillance stuff happening also right off the bat. Yeah. You know, something is uh, keeping tabs on the event, specifically um, the town and uh, the population, and uh, they're very concerned about some sort of containment initiative. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and um, Dr. Dutton's kind of stuck, because she's the community doctor. She's the one in town. So, like, yeah. when people start feeling weird or feel like they're 
family members are acting weird, they bring them to Judy. And uh, that happens in the next day when Bill is brought in, seemingly repeating just the same thing over and over again without yeah. any real like thought process behind it. Yeah, the 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 way that I feel like it, it it's a cool setup for the Duttons to be like the town's stabilizing force. Like the town doctor mm-hmm. and the town sheriff are married, so it kind of comes to them to be responsible for the welfare um, and safety of everybody in the town, which more or less is easy because again everybody gets along. There's very few problems, but when there starts to be problems. Th- we're glad that it's these two people that are you kind know, of in charge. in charge. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like I would trust either one of them to like, especially to, you know, I know he's an actor, but like Timothy Oliphant has just played so many characters that are on top of their shit that I'm like, I just trust. You. I trust him. <laughs> I trust him. I do. <laughs> um, and so Judy's just like, listen, we'll tomorrow we'll take him down to a larger town we'll get him in for like a, a mri or something so we can make sure there's nothing going on in like his head or anything that's right. really gonna be any issues because so far you know his symptoms are just like he's exhibiting like negative affect there's just like a general mm-hmm. lack of responsiveness he just kind of is a deadpan expression and he doesn't speak very much but there doesn't seem to be anything physically wrong with him yeah. Um, which is kind of Judy's exposure to whatever is happening. Um, but around the same time, you know, David has to keep cleaning up the mess of shooting Rory in front of the whole town. You know, him and the medical examiner uh, discover that there was no alcohol in his system whatsoever. He was not drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and when David kind of is mulling that over back at the baseball field, I think it's also cool to note that he noticeably didn't drink the coffee in the morning during the shooting, which oh, will make yeah. sense later. I thought I didn't notice that until this time that I watched it. But, um, around that time he, you know, he goes back to the baseball field. Nobody's there, but, uh, principal Ben is, uh, acting a bit spacey also, mm-hmm. you know, it takes a couple of like, you know, shouts to be like, hey, you know, get to get his attention. And he kind of just says some dismissive, like, oh, you know, the kids will be resilient, They're, they'll be okay. And he just kind of goes back to work. So David, he's a smart cookie. Some of those, some of these gears are turning, and I think with the same thing with Judy, that they're like, this is probably okay, but things aren't necessarily Something's adding up. Um, and then that next night... Um, at Bill's house, there starts to be some issues oh when God. it seems like he turns on a, some farm equipment outside. Some, some big-ass, like, harvester machine. Like, Which, I don't know. I'll be honest, I thought that was going to be a really gruesome kill, and uh, it, it it wasn't what I expected, because he's not at the machine. When his wife goes out to turn off the machine, she suddenly hears a scream from back at their house. And so she runs back to try to investigate it, and she finds uh, her son, and he's just like, Dad's got a knife. (sighs) And then they hide in a closet where Bill locks the door and then sets the house ablaze, burning down the house with his family inside. And it's, it's really the nonchalant whistling while you mm-hmm. burn your family alive that that really sticks with me for that 
to the point that I'm like, don't you kind of wish it was just the harvester? Because at least it's quick, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, and when people show up seeing the house on fire, someone goes up to Bill and just yells at him, what did you do? It's Judy. Like, She's like, what the fuck? when you start fuck? to see the community falling apart. Yeah. Um... You know, one of my favorite powers in Sky High is the fact that um, <laughs> Zack glows, uh, but he doesn't, like, tell anyone that he glows in the dark. He's just kind of like, you just gotta turn off the lights and you'll I'm see it. it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, like, Bruce Campbell's just having none of it, so he's like, you're a sidekick, get the fuck out of here. I don't know, uh, I do kind of love that the fact that one of the characters is named War and Peace. That's, I was saving that one, but yeah, I love <laughs> War and Peace, it's so funny. <laughs> um, so, uh, despite the fact that the town is starting to fall apart, uh, we get to meet these um, three local good old boy type guys, they're hunting in the marsh. The Duck um, Dynasty boys, if you will. Yeah, who, um, it's really hard to see them once you've seen the rest of the movie. But yeah. uh, they're just harmless dudes for right now. But um, you gotta put the guns away until until uh, fall, because it's not hunting season anymore. Right, oh, it's like, oh, damn, Sheriff, we're just trying to hunt a little bit. You know, innocence, mm. okay? Yeah. But they make an interesting, if not terrifying, discovery of uh, finding a pilot who had parachuted from some plane... Uh, that uh, the sheriff and co discover crashed in a nearby bog. And we're not talking like Mm -hmm. a passenger plane. We're not even talking like, oh, you know, some some kind of like observation balloon. We're talking like a military transport aircraft Mm -hmm. crashed into this bog. And this bog happens to lead into their water supply. That can't be good, Danny. Not one bit. Well, no, so naturally, it's going to be super easy to go to the mayor and be like, hey, we need to shut off the water supply for right now. I just but no, like, man, it's planning season. It's he's just like every mayor is the mayor from Jaws when they're like, the water stays on. And it's like, oh, God, you're going to kill us all <laughs> with bureaucracy. However, Sheriff David uh, refuses to take that answer and just goes and shuts off the water supply himself. Because, listen, we, we love, on this podcast, a, a main character in a horror movie that makes smart decisions. A man and, of uh, action. Yeah, David is, again, like, one smart cookie He when it comes to stuff like this. Like, he sees the plane, and his first thought is, what was it carrying? How did it get into our water supply? Does that have anything to do with what's happening? Because when he goes mm. to the water board... And he's like, what's the first house that the water would feed into? And it's the Hamill residence, which is where Rory lived. So, Mm -hmm. you know, patient zero has already kind of somehow been tied to the water, even though we don't really know what exactly it is. David's on to something. And the government now is going to come and try to clean up their mess. So, like, you're welcome for finding your secret fucking black ops plane, CIA, maybe. Because as soon as they find out that David has found where their plane is, they, um, they they issue an order for something about quarantine, like a containment Mm -hmm. protocol, uh, which got, we know the government with quarantine protocols now, 
Um, but back in the 2010s, the government was seen as competent when it came to uh, managing a uh, pandemic to, like this. And mm. um, we'll get into it later, but they're really efficient, except when they're not, when they remember that they're the U.S. government and then they're not. Uh, but in this well, case, if they, they are, knock out all communication services in town. Really right fucking the soldiers sp- arrive. Really spookily fast. Like as yeah. soon as David is like, we're in trouble because like he he tries to get you know he tries to call um, Cedar Rapids because back at the jail, uh, Bill, who has been in custody ever since he killed his family, um, mm-hmm. his condition's been deteriorating. Um, he quick David quickly figures out like. No one came to get him. We issued a transfer for him, like, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finds out the phones are down. The internet is down. Uh, very quickly, he sees that there's shady surveillance vehicles in town. And he's, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he tells Russell pretty quickly, like, we are in trouble. I don't know what for. Good. Yeah, this is not good. And this is where shit starts to turn. Um, mm-hmm. So... So when David sees this this surveillance vehicle, uh, right around the same time, he sees another resident kind of just casually riding her bike in the street without a care mm-hmm. in the world. Um, it seems like no one is on the streets right now. Uh, it's the, the town is more or less turned into a ghost town in the middle of the day. Um, so David decides to check things out with the medical examiner. Mm-hmm. Um who has also been affected. And this is where we start yeah, to see some of the, um, I, I don't know, Danny, this, do you know what I mean when it, when I say that it's like, you kind of have some retention of your former self, but like it informs how twisted your murder spree gets. Yeah. Cause like you still have the ability to use the tools you're familiar with. Exactly. Uh, and there is no way that David does not get a concussion after immediately being hit in the back of the head by a metal object. Well, because um, he goes in there, and so, like, the medical examiner and the funeral parlor are in the same building. Mm-hmm. I mean, the medical examiner is nowhere to be found. Um, of the bodies that have turned up lately, there are more tables with sheets covering bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, he checks one of them moving. out. Yeah, well, and the first one he finds, uh, not only has been freshly autopsied, but also has had their eyes X'd out for some reason, which I feel yeah, like is hardly... Yeah, their eyes are sewn shut in X's. Yeah, like, they're not very, it's not a very standard operating procedure, but yeah, you're right, the second one's moving. With both eyes X-sewn and mouth sewn shut. Oh god, this is so freaking creepy. So David is able to take some surgical scissors to cut the sewing around the mouth so that he can just utter the words behind you. Right. And, uh, and you know, there's the medical examiner starts. with a bone saw. <laughs> and he's trying to use that bone saw on David any way he can. And David, right. being the smart man that he is, grabs the power cord and uses mm. that to control where the saw goes. Yeah, it, it's pretty ingenious to like direct it back so he just starts cutting himself to the point that he mm-hmm. like he bleeds out. But then he drops the still on bone saw, and because it's on, it's able to kind of like skitter across the ground. 
And I don't know, man, that's one of those, that's one of those things that just like gives me the heebie jeebies. Cause like, Ooh, God, that'll kill you. Like that'll just go right through. Oh yeah. Well, like that's kind of one of the points where I'm just like, it's like a crocodile. You got to move in like a Z formation. You can't just go backwards. It's going to follow you. It can only (laughs) move in a straight line. Man, I'd rather fight a crocodile because at the very least, it's not going to be like, I don't know, man. At least Russell's there to, to, to nix the bone saw. um, And turn the power off. In one of the first times that Russell proves that he's just a real one. Life save number one. Truly. He's, uh, man, I like Russell a lot. Um, So, uh, right around this time, David notices um, things are fucked. Things are bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, he should get home and get his wife and get the fuck out of there. Um, yes. He tries to convince Judy that they need to leave, and she's like, we can't abandon the town. Like, they're the stabilizing forces. They're who people would look to to see what to do in a situation like this. Mm-hmm. But before they can really make up their mind, uh, thankfully, the government comes in to clean up their mess uh, yeah. by forcibly extracting everybody Everyone. in town and forcing them to quarantine. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a nobody leaves the town sort of deal. Like, everybody is perceived infected until proven otherwise. Yeah. Guilty until proven innocent, if you will. Right. What uh, was your response so- to, like, this this containment unit? like approach that they had i mean this is like maybe 25 minutes into the movie it's very quick that we've gotten to this point if there had been more communication between the containment unit and the civilians there may have been less outrage about just separating people and like just checking temperatures and everything but no the government being the government uh, doesn't say anything and just right. starts pushing people around and separating family members, like literally ripping children out of arms of parents. Yeah, because the government never would never do sign. that. They would never, no. ever do that. Um, but at the very least, um, the government doesn't always do it clad head to toe in like biohazard gear with like face yeah. masks. Like you can't see like, yeah, these are government agents and like soldiers, but like, but you can't see faces, right? So it, it kind of lends this like extra air of like the unknown and panic mm-hmm. and like distrust to whatever's happening. It's like you don't know who these people are, who they represent. Like you know, if yeah. it was like the if it was the army, like you'd see flags and you'd see faces. But this isn't like that. This is a very different air of seriousness, um, especially by the fact they like set up the containment unit and the screening areas like at the high school. Mm hmm. Well, yeah. And Judy does not pass the check because she has a, a elevated temperature because right. she's pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, um, s- is a stupid question. Uh, d- d- women, ha- they get a fever like the whole time. I have no or, idea. If okay. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. It seems about right, I would expect. Uh, at the very least, it, I buy it. She's a doctor, and yeah. she kind of understands, like, you know, sort of what they're doing. Because she's aware of medical procedure, especially maybe containment, you know, she's got a little bit of an idea, like, okay, well, they're screening for some kind of virus, like something mm-hmm. that happened, which maybe gives David a little bit more pieces to kind of put this puzzle together. Um, but it's not really like there's much they can do about it. 
Yeah. Because, um, yeah, David does pass the inspection, and he's kind of sent off on his merry way to the next round of, like, safe people go here. Um, sick people are going to go get strapped into beds in the high school. Yeah, we're just going to kind of strap them to gurneys and put them into rooms and just kind of, like, Hope. leave them there. Because, like, we're they have one guy checking everybody and another guy with a gun and no one else. Well, and it's not like they seem to know how to, like, fix it. Like, they just kind of seem to be like, well, we're going to put you here and monitor you. Like, it's mm-hmm. not like they have any sort of, like, we know what to do. They're just like, we yeah. got to contain it. We got to, like, just separate the sick because we, we we are starting to get a sense of what happens when you are sick. So the government, at some level... It knows um, we got to get all of these people away from everybody else as quickly and efficiently as possible, like right now. Mm-hmm. And so they do. They eff- effectively separate people into healthy and unhealthy as they understand it at this point. Um, but David's like, uh, this is stupid. I'm going to get back to my sheriff office and I'm going to um, fix this stuff. Yeah, get my, my wife job. out of there. Yeah, like, I'm not going to leave my, my wife, wife back there. And there's this other dude who he runs into who he's just like, "Why you can't go back. We, we were separated for a reason. And Timothy Oliphant, being the badass that he is, Hell just yeah. turns to him and delivers the line, I can't leave my wife that easily, and I'm not going to ask why you can leave yours. And then Damn. he just walks away. I mean, it's badass, but, like... I don't think that means this guy's a bad husband. Um, the government showed up with guns and gas masks and were like, your yeah. wife is sick, get the hell out of here. I, listen, I don't know. I'm gonna I, probably listen. Listen, I wish I was as cool as Timothy Oliphant sometimes, but I don't know if I'd always have the, the courage to be like, fuck this, I'm gonna go get my people and we're gonna get out of here. Mm-hmm. Because back in the quarantine zone, Judy and Becca are... Becca's also there. They're both stuck in the same, uh, like, classroom um, mm-hmm. with uh, all of these pe- sick people around them who are, like, muttering to themselves or twitching uncontrollably or even laughing. That one was really creepy. That but there's one just I didn't this, like. like. There's just this, like, l- laughter coming from somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. So in... In the military's eternal strategy, they're able to construct this very elaborate quarantine setup. They've built, you know, they've set up the ET, like, plastic tunnels everywhere. They've Mm -hmm. got all these fences, systems, and stuff. Um, And it's all fucked up immediately by a pickup truck with a couple of assholes with shotguns who break through and attack the military. Yeah, they're able to raise in hell. And just like uh, with 28 weeks later, um, because the military loses control of um, the civilians, it's all hell breaks loose because then you can't tell who's sick and who isn't. Um, mm-hmm. So I, they just decide to, like, bail. <laughs> They're just like, all right, we yeah. tried. <laughs> we, let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> like, like that one guy comes into their room and is like, the crazies are out, we gotta get out of here, and the dude's just like, mm, okay. And they don't even tell anyone, well, like, we'll be back later or anything. I turned, because at this point one of my roommates was watching parts of the movie with me, and I turned to him and I was like, 
Is this what it was like when the when the U.S. military left Saigon? Literally, it was the exact <laughs> same thing. <laughs> They're uh, really good yeah. at. I mean, I don't want to roast the military, but like they are really good at like setting up a bunch of stuff and then just being like, ah, fuck it. Well, yeah, and at this same time is when um, the principal Ben oh, God. starts uh, walking about the infected. But yeah, he so is so not now that tied down. So now that all the military have conveniently left, um, now the crazies, as they call them, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a little bit of a derogatory a term. Bit. Little bit, mm, little bit of a mm, little, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so now they're free to kind of just do whatever, um, mm-hmm. and uh, kind of a as we're starting to see a hallmark symptom of their infection is a complete and total breakdown of personality. The only thing left being uh, unrepentant Murder. homicidal like impulse. So yes. um, in a scene that the very ubiquitous poster, as we've talked about a little bit, is, is taken from the principal Ben, uh, who we saw a couple, 10, 15 minutes ago, was normal, mm-hmm. um, is... Patrolling the halls, dragging a pitchfork. Uh, and it's just, the sound is chilling. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially because it's leaving behind a trail of blood. And I don't want to know where all the blood all over his face and shirt came from, but I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure it's not his own. Yeah, well, and it seems that anytime he just sees someone move... That's his next victim. Yeah, because then he just goes from gurney to gurney in Judy and Becca's room, just stabbing everyone to death. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, man. There's just fucking nothing scarier than that. Because, like, you can't go well, anywhere, and, and you can't reason with him. When Judy yells for him to stop and effectively makes herself his next target. <sighs> right, right. Um... I guess we should back up just a second um, before we see what happens there, that um, David has has managed to make his way back to the police station. Um, He's found a couple of guns. Luckily, he's linked up with Russell back at the station. Mm -hmm. They both load up, and uh, Russell has been in town the whole time. He's seen um, the quarantine breakdown, so he knows where everyone is being held. Um, Mm -hmm. So he knows that Judy is still back at the school, so the two lock and load. They go back to the school and are lucky enough to catch Ben just as he's about to murder Judy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so they get uh, Judy and Becca out of their restraints and are like, alright, we gotta get a car and we gotta get the fuck out of here. However, when they get out into the streets... They find that all of the cars have boots on them. They so took they the time to boot all of the vehicles, too. Like, they just thought so of they everything. they cannot leave. They thought of everything except, like, shouldn't we just, like, kill them? Like, I, I'm not saying that's a good idea, but, like, they could have just, like, killed all of them if they wanted mm-hmm. to. Because after they bailed, it's like, well, you left all these survivors with effectively no way out except on yeah. foot. And, I mean, as we'll come to find out very soon, that's not very much an option. No. Um, and this is also when we 
re-encounter the Duck Dynasty boys. Danny, this shit really fucked with me. <laughs> it's messed up. This was probably the most, like, crossed, like, Garth Ennis' cross bit, just as an example, um, of, of what this thing does. Because up until this point, like, the crazies have more or less just... They've, they're devoid of any sort of personality. They're just, like, murderous impulse. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in a way, I feel like, as scary and terrifying as that is, it's it's a little nice that um, whoever that person was is gone. Uh, yeah. But with these guys, um, it seems like it's maybe 60-40 that they're actually gone because um, they still have... Uh, the ability to speak, the ability to um, comment on what they're doing in a joyous mm. manner that just really fucks with me, man. Yeah, it's it gets kind of gross in like a humanity can be awful kind of way. Right, and David just kind of takes they it still have too, their man. humanity. That's that's it's what I'm saying. Worst thing, yeah. Because part of me this time around was like, you know, maybe. Maybe they're hunting the crazies, right? Maybe that's what they're doing. But, like, there's no way. Like, there's just no, no. way that they're doing that. They're definitely just killing people for fun uh, and treating it like they're hunting deer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, at this point, they do make the decision that, well, we can get back to the Dutton's place because there's an old police car that didn't have wheels on it. That there's no way they would boot, put a boot on, and mm-hmm. we can use that to get out. Um, but that does mean they have to walk through town. Right. And town at this point is literally just fucking chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when, as they're walking about, Becca sees Scotty's farm, which is her boy toy. Yeah. This is... this. They get to... Um... An interesting bit, too, though. So there's, you know, that moment where Scotty comes out of the barn and he's not sure if they're infected. They're not sure if he's infected because that's kind of mm-hmm. the, the the cruel nature of, of the infection is, like, you don't always know that you're infected until you've done some horrible shit. It's very yeah. hard to tell when someone starts to go, even if they're infected and they were cool with you earlier. So this lack of trust is... You know, again, like immediate. The, you're, everyone in this community knows and trusts each other. And for the nature of this infection to be just like, you can't trust anyone anymore, and they might just mm-hmm. kill you in a second, it's very immediately psychologically traumatic to all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, because they have both the sheriff and the deputy, they're able to essentially unarmed Scotty to be like, we're okay. Are you okay? And they all kind of okay. And that's when soldiers get to the farm and they have to hide in the barn with Scotty as the soldiers grab his mom from inside the house and Scotty goes out to try to save his mom. Bad move, Scotty. Both of them. And then the soldiers burn the corpses (laughs) of Scotty and his mom. A bit much. <laughs> they it's just like incinerated overkill. these people. 
Um, you know who else I feel like on a lighter side has a cool flamethrower is you mentioned before War and Peace from Sky War High. And, and you know what's really cool about him is not just the fact that his father was this super villain that was been in prison, but that like his whole arc as a character is about like overcoming that villain side of him and like contributing back and seeing that it's kind of cool to use your powers for good and not just to yeah. burn shit, even though I totally get it. Also, let's just talk about the fact that the Dean is literally in, the Dean uh, Sky High. I got that. It's Kevin always points out this man has an Oscar and he gets yeah. to just prance around like a fun little jester. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so you, you mentioned those soldiers that show up and I feel like it, this is where I started to get real mad because <laughs> I'm like, you guys bailed. So now your plan is like, all right. Now we're going to make it a lot more dangerous for the soldiers. So you're just going to get li- into little, like, kill squads and just go mm. around and kill anybody who might be uh, infected, which seems not yeah. only inefficient, but also very dangerous, which does sound just like the government. Um, <laughs> but we do get that kind of cool scene where, like, that one soldier is, is sweeping the barn now that they know that there's probably other people around now that Scotty ran mm-hmm. out of the barn. So uh, they they get the drop on this soldier. They take his mask off, and he's like, "Oh man, I'm fucked!" Like that, you guys took my mask off. I'm gonna die. And Judy's mm-hmm. trying to get more information on him because they don't know anything really. They don't and know what's it, going on. And it seems like from the soldier that like they're just as confused. Like I mean, these guys probably are like National Guard members who were just like airdropped in from somewhere else without mm-hmm. much indication of what they were doing. Other than, like, there's an airborne pathogen that's turning people into homicidal maniacs. And, and he's, like... ordered to shoot all civilians. Right, and he's, like, you know what? Like, if you guys let me go, I won't tell you anyone where you're at. Because, like, you know what? I didn't sign up to shoot unarmed civilians. Which I'm, like, mm-hmm. that's a bit of a relief to hear. Because, like, yeah. I don't want to just blame all of you for what's happening. Because it's not, mm-hmm. a, it's not your fault. And these guys are clearly the army. Like, they do seem like the National Guard... But, yeah. you know, from that, from him, you know, Judy at least learns, like, hey, I mean, if this pathogen is airborne, like, we could all be sick. Like, I know mm-hmm. I'm pregnant, but, like, I have a fever. Like, we don't know that I don't have it. We both drank yeah. from the same tap. Like, you know, David is very convinced, like, we're not sick. You know, you're not sick. You're pregnant. Because he's, he's got to be the pragmatist right sick. now. Right. He's, we're not the pragmatist. He's got to be the optimist. He's got to be like, we got to focus on getting out of here right now. We don't have time to think about, like, are we already infected? Is this futile? Because mm-hmm. he's got those eyes. I mean, Jim, Timothy Oliphant's got his eyes on the prize. He's got, like, an objective. He's got to get his family to safety. Mm-hmm. And so they do get back to David and Judy's house so they can start fixing up the car. And Judy decides that she's going to take a trip down memory lane and go up to the nursery. Well, but before she goes up there, I, I, I want to spotlight this, this moment where um, the first thing she does when they get back is she, like, takes towels off of the, the like, drying line outside. Mm-hmm. And she's just folding them. And David's like, like what, stop. Like, what are you doing? And she's got this moment that really stuck with me where she's like, Everyone that we know has died in the last 24 hours. Like, everybody is dead. This was the place we were going to raise our child. That's fucking gone. Like, we can't do that anymore. And David is still trying to hold on to, like, no, 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 it'll be okay. We can get out of here. Things are going to be okay. And I don't know. It's just that level of, like, 
realization on her part's like you just don't get how fucked we are right now Mm -hmm. like the government is not just gonna let us walk away yeah So she does go up to that nursery, um, you know, yeah, it's part of like a, you know, this is where we were going to raise our baby. This was going to be your room. Um, But they're not alone. Yeah, so David starts walking up the stairs because he hears the like little nursery rhymes playing that were obviously set off. Yeah, because he's grabbing supplies. He's grabbing shit Mm -hmm. for the road. He doesn't know. I mean, they're loading up for like a long haul. And when he opens the door, he sees Judy tied up to a chair in that room. Yeah. And then he gets attacked by Rory's family, who are now infected. And they're, like, hardcore, like, late-stage infection infected. Like, they have all of the physical hallmarks, like, their face is just leaking with, with infection, all of the veins... Are popped the only and... humanity they have left is their anger with David. That's what was so wild. Is like, I, I'm. It's so interesting to see what parts of the brain remain intact from this virus. You know, like mm-hmm. with with the hunters, it was I don't know their inclination to kill, maybe because it was already there. Um, with that old woman that they see at the end of the the uh, high school where she's just like look, looking around and just like asking people mm-hmm. where her son is like it's interesting to see what retains in the infected because yeah. they're not all murderous some of them are just like crazy they just go nuts um, mm-hmm. but at least with them it, it's about vengeance because um, you know we, we kind of glazed over it earlier but like the Hamels were, they blame David specifically for their death. And they're like, you know, our, you know, Rory had stopped drinking for like two years. So mm-hmm. you're just going to blame it on the fact that he used to drink and you're just going to sweep under the rug the fact that you killed our husband and father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the son, Kurt, gets the drop on David and starts choking him. And then Peggy stabs into his hand Ooh. into the ground. Yeah, this is wild. Um, which then David ends up being the baddest of the asses when oh, he man. pulls his hand out of the ground and uses the blade that is through his hand to stab her in the neck. It's why he like palm stabs her in the throat. Yeah, and that kind of takes care of her. But Kurt yeah. has a gun. Yeah. Um, which luckily Russell is able to shoot Kurt through the wind, excuse me, through the window. And what a saves legend, man. His life for a second time. Second time, yeah. And, and then when I, Russell comes up, yeah. he double taps both corpses to make sure they're dead. Which, which you know what? Judy out. But yeah, honestly, it, I understand. Because as they start to get. Because, like, this whole time, uh, like. Becca and Russell have been kind of tasked with, like, making sure the car is drivable while, you know, David and Judy not only say goodbye to their home, but also, like, grab supplies. Um, Mm -hmm. So while they're on the way out, Judy kind of pulls David aside and is like, how do we know that Russell isn't sick? Um, She's very certain that he is based on his Mm -hmm. behavior upstairs, but I feel like that's just making sure. Because, I don't know, some of these people... 
at the very least they seem dead and then they'll just pop up and try to kill you again. Yeah. Um, but at the very least, like it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting note because like earlier on Russell would be like, Hey, I don't live too far from the Hamels either. I've been drinking water. What if I'm sick? Like, what if I'm already infected? And David's like, you're not, you're totally fine. It's all good. And because, again, that's been his whole strategy this whole time is like we don't have time to consider the fact that we might get sick. We just need to get out of here and get to safety. Um, But as much as I don't want to admit that Russell is sick, he is starting to kind of waver a little bit when it comes to rationality. Yeah. And he's just starting to get a little snippier, too, because like. When they're driving and, like, Becca starts coughing, he's like, how do we know she's not sick? And we're like, hey, buddy, whoa, cool it. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because now they're on the road, they have a car. And also, like, s- this is where I wrote, how is there already over an, a half hour left in this movie? Like, right? so much has already happened, and there's still, like, 40 minutes left. Uh, and, yeah, because at this point... They're spotted by a helicopter. Yeah. And so they not have to drive into a any. car wash to try to get cover because it's not just a helicopter. It's an, it's a military attack helicopter. It's an Apache helicopter. It can cause damage. Like, fuck. Like, so <laughs> brief aside, um, my uncle, back when he was in the military, flew these specific helicopters. And mm-hmm. if I learned anything from him, it's these helicopters were like... They're just so good at killing shit from the sky with missiles and 50 cal guns. So, like, yeah. their entire purpose is to, like, kill shit from the sky. Kill and so, sky. like, when they go into that car wash, they're like, oh, did it see us? I'm like, of course it did. It's, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, you know, it's all that funding that we're not getting for the arts and healthcare and all that shit put to use. Like, this is... Yeah military money well spent in terms of like killing shit well so Mm -hmm. hiding in that car wash might seem like a good idea in the short term but of course it's not well yeah because there are employees that have gone crazy and so they start the car wash and now there's just things to distract you while they try to attack you I mean, in terms of water poisoning, uh, I mean, if you work at a car wash, I would assume at the very least you're getting it, like, absorbed through your skin probably a lot faster than you would even drinking it. So, like, hell knows how long these guys have been uh, infected for. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And Russell does shoot out one of the windows because he's like, I thought I saw something move. And David just turns to him and goes, Everything, Everything is moving! Is fucking moving! <laughs> of course you saw movement! Um, and sadly, at this point, the crazies do manage to drag Becca out of the car by a hose. Well, after he essentially... punches through the window in, like, one oh. punch, and he's trying to, like, grab her through the whole thing, uh, but they, they manage to, like, beat that dude off, but they miss the guy that's been hiding on the roof. Mm-hmm. And so he does manage to grab her by the neck and hang her, which <sighs> breaks her neck and kills her. It's a very quick and efficient as hell death, and it's like, it's mm-hmm. such like an, oh, fuck, because it was just like a second of not paying attention. And as the others try to save her, which they realize it's too late, 
the helicopter does manage to destroy the car. Yeah, it just m- missiles this car within like a second off and just leaves because it assumes it's killed them. Mm-hmm. Which I guess is is good, but um, now you gotta make it on foot. Yeah, now they're back on foot. And luckily, not too long after this, they do see that a SUV is driving down the road. Yeah, and this is when David finally starts acting like Joel from The Last of Us, which is a man after my own heart, where he's like, we're taking this motherfucking car. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yeah, buddy, you gotta start doing shit your own way. Which would be great. However, Russell uses a police spike strip to disable (sighs) the car so they can get to the driver. And, Which means you they know, can't use the car. I, again, I don't want to give anybody any ideas, but this is like a, one of those nightmares I have when I'm driving down country roads like this, that for some reason, someone's just going to like throw out these traffic spikes when I'm going like mm-hmm. 60 miles an hour. Because like when you're going that fast and you hit these spikes, your car goes airborne. And, yeah, you it's know, bad. Like, it's fucked. And, I mean, bye-bye to the four wheels that you were hoping to use to get up further away. Mm-hmm. But it's the government, oh. so, you know, fuck these guys. Well, yeah, and so they do manage to talk to the driver for a little bit, uh, which is where they find out a little bit more about what happened. Yeah, they learn the virus's name is Trixie, which um, sounds like a stripper named Michael Myers-type virus. Um, so instead of crazies, I don't know why they don't call them Trixies. Uh, probably because it wouldn't be nearly as scary. Mm-hmm. There's really not a lot to make light of in this movie. It's very dark, I'm sorry. No, it's, yeah, there's not a whole lot of jokes we can make. It's, it's just why we the... keep going back to Sky High. Speaking of which, do you remember, um... I can't remember his name, but the bus driver, I just love his energy so much. And I kind of wish he was around for this movie because he would know what to do. He would be prepared. He'd be prepared. He'd have wheels at the very least. He'd get you guys out of Ron Wilson. Bus driver, man. How could I forget? How could I forget Ron Wilson bus driver? What a hero. But uh, the government guy is able to kind of give them a lot more context because uh judy asks what the gestation period of the virus is and he kind of deduces like it kills you within 48 hours so yeah you're either okay or you're it by 48 hours but not only that you're crazy but that you're dead within 48 hours like it Mm -hmm. not only has was designed to um he said to stabilize a population which like good fucking god um, so it, it was a biological weapon, but they were going to destroy it. So don't worry, except that somehow on its way to Texas, it wound up in Iowa, crashed. Yeah. Um, and David rightfully is pissed, uh, cause the guy's like, we lost a plane. What do you want me to say? I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's not a good answer. Sorry. Like, oh God. Like. There was and a st- Russell really doesn't like that answer and ends up shooting the government employee. I mean, I get it, but um, at this point, it should be pretty obvious that, like, he's infected. So David, I mean, Joel, at this point, mm. should just kill him. Like, I know he's your buddy, um, but uh, he, he this is, like, the third time he's, like, fucked shit up for you. So we just got to get rid Three of him. Three strikes and you're out, bud. 
Because then he still tries to play it off like, oh no, I'll just like hold the gun and it'll be You've fine. You've been holding it for a long time, it's heavy. Which of course sets off the warning sign, because now he pulls his gun and now he's like, no, you guys are going to walk in front of me. And I'm like, well, now it's too late. And you guys, mm-hmm. now it's just a waiting game of when will Russell get crazy enough and decide to just shoot us in the back of the head? And luckily, before that can happen, David does try to just talk to him, which is his way of knocking him into the ground and taking control back. It is pretty cool. Russell (laughs) looks at him with the saddest eyes of the movie and just goes, it's got me, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm not right, am I? Yeah. And I, I literally got a my little. Heart. I literally got a little choked up because I'm like, Russell has been a pain in the ass the last like ten minutes, but that's when like Russell actually comes through. Um, well, and it's so sad because he also then goes, "Please let me walk with you guys just a little bit longer. I, I this can't be it yet." And it and, like, broke my heart. Because then think about it, like, or maybe don't if you want to have a good day. Um, but then you're like, the rest of that time, you got to, like, deal with the fact that you're going to die. And not only mm-hmm. that you're going to die, but that, like, your you're going to very... kill you. Well, and you'll very quickly deteriorate from who you were into someone who can and will hurt anyone in their vicinity, including your best friends. Mm-hmm. But um, I really appreciate that he's able, he is able to redeem himself, though, um, because the big plan for this whole time is that, you know, David was taken to this truck stop, you know, outside Mm -hmm. of town um, with the rest of the people that were deemed uh, clean, like healthy. They were all given wristbands. They were all more or less been like, you guys are going to get out of here. We're going to arrange transport to get you somewhere else. Um, and he's like, I gotta get my wife. So he knows, he's like, if we can just make it to this truck stop, we can get safe transport out of there, especially because we can prove that we're healthy and all that stuff. Um, Russell obviously knows that he's not going to be taken in. Um, so there's this roadblock that is, uh, a bit before the truck stop that, you know, they're not going to get past because the military is just going to kill him immediately, but Mm -hmm. he's, he's able to redeem himself by drawing their attention. Yeah, if I'm going to die, I'm at least going to be useful. Also, like, it also, I don't know why, but it really hit me in the gut that he, he, so he, he walks up there and he's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a sheriff's deputy. And he, he takes cover behind a car and empties out his gun, which I think is dismantles it in part. And I think it's, it's really, um, salient to be like. If I'm going to go crazy, I don't want to hurt anybody. Like, I don't want to have anything yeah. on me that could have the ability to even hurt one more person. And I'm like, God, what a fucking hero. Especially because mm. then he he basically suicide by cops himself so that David and Judy can sneak around the roadblock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is a very noble end to Russell. I, I agree. I, I really appreciate that he redeemed himself and... um I don't know, it's one of those things that, you know, we talk about all the time for fun, because, you know, we're just fun, silly guys. Like, what it would be like if we had to do something like this, (laughs) that it's like, maybe it's nice to do something more like this so, like, we don't have to shoot each other. We can just be like, well, we'll do something awesome to, like, slow down whatever A noble sacrifice. Exactly. I'd rather be remembered that way, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. 
but Judy and David are able to make it to um, the truck stop. So theoretically, mm-hmm. we're to safety. Um, unfortunately, there's about 25 minutes left in this movie, so we know that that's not going to be the case. Um, yeah. So they find out that um, the military has executed all those who are going to be, quote-unquote, evacuated. Yeah, I was a legitimately pissed when I found out that they killed everybody. Like, even the healthy. Everybody. And it was in sole effort to just cover their tracks. Because mm-hmm. not only did they cause this, but um, as soon as some, as anybody finds out that they caused this... They're going to be in a lot of trouble, and they're going to have to, like, you know, answer for their crimes. But this is the United States government we're talking about here, Danny. They don't answer for their crimes, and they never will. So they don't care how many people they have to kill, even if they had the promise of uh, free and safe transport. Mm -hmm. They're going to line them up in uh, trucks and shoot them and burn them. Like, uh, and feel cool and totally fine about that decision. And you know what? I'm a little bit okay with the fact that um, this quote-unquote deserted truck stop isn't maybe as deserted as, as we are led to believe. Yeah, so remember those Duck Dynasty truck boys? I don't think I'll ever they... be able to not remember those guys. <laughs> They're still around. They're still here. They're still causing trouble. And now armed with military hardware, because whoever was there before either left or was killed by these guys, because we learn once, um, you know, there's, they have that moment of, uh, of realization once they're in the diner, you know, because Judy finds all of those bodies and tells David, like, they just killed everybody and they're not Mm going to stop with us, like, they're going to find us and they're going to kill us because we're going to talk about what happened. So everything is kind of absolutely fucked right now. And that's where David, you know, has that moment where he's like, if you want me to lay down and die with you, just say that and I'll do it. And mm-hmm. I don't know, man, that that switch in him, especially at this point, it it, it really got to me. Yeah. But, but before um, they can even make yeah. that choice, they now have to fight for their lives. Right. Well, because then David finds that rig out there in the, uh, the the truck wash. So he's like, they have mm-hmm. wheels they could get out there with. But, um, you know, Judy finds these guys in the diner. Um, while she's hiding, she discovers a whole meat freezer full of bodies that, again, I don't yeah. know weren't infected or if they were fine. I choose to believe they were infected. Because that's going to help me sleep a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah, that'll help. Uh, so these these hellbillies have racked up an even higher body count. Um, but uh, even with that, they've deteriorated to a point where they're maybe not as mentally aware as they were earlier. So mm-hmm. they are a little bit more able to be combated. And I kind of like that it becomes a two-story fight. Yeah, with, yeah. Um, Judy and one of them in the truck, while David is fighting underneath the truck in like the little oil change yeah. pathway, which also leads to one of my favorite kills in this movie, which is when he spills oil on his attacker and just yeah. lights him ablaze. It's so dope because right at that same point, like Judy just shoots the one guy in the face when he's trying to climb mm-hmm. through the truck. Point and blank, uh, too. It's, it's fucking dope. And she just comes in and she's like, let's get the fuck out of here. And I'm like, shit, yeah. But um, 
in their little runaround of discovering stuff and gathering supplies at this truck stop, David finds a radio from the military that talks about that, like, all personnel have been evacuated and there's some sort of countdown. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't be for anything good at this point. And um, it's a short countdown, too. Yeah, it's not very long. <laughs> 30 <laughs> seconds, all. if memory serves. Well, but, like, when he finds it, it was something like, you know, there's, like, five minutes or something, and he's like, mm-hmm. all right, we gotta get out of here, like, now. Um, so, once they find the right keys to get the rig out, um, they have maybe 30 seconds before uh, the government's favorite way of covering up its mistakes, according to the movies, which is just massive amounts of explosives and firebombs. Just bomb the shit out of Big places. bomb. We can explain huge craters in the Earth way more than we can explain that we just misplaced a biological weapon that we were going to get rid of, guys. I mean, come on. Get off our backs. Yeah, it's all okay. It's We're fine. We were going to destroy it. I mean, Jesus. Uh, and yeah, so this essentially tiny nuclear bomb goes off in town and breaks down this truck. I mean, it sends this bitch flying. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, frankly, it's a shock that David and Judy survive that. But then they get out of the truck, and they are forced to continue their journey on foot. Well, because their goal has been to get to Cedar Rapids, which I guess is the next largest The next big town over. Um, But uh, because it's the government, um, you know, they're tracking Judy and David's movements. They clock them going to Cedar Rapids, which they account for... God, the the population was something like 120,000 people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the last frames of the movie are from that, like, UAV surveillance recon of, like, another initiation of quarantine. So, I guess fucking Cedar Rapids is next, oh no. (laughs) Yeah. You know how Sky High ends is actually on a happy note, because uh, Ron Wilson gets powers from a nuclear reactor, Instead of nuclear power being used to destroy a small town that two days ago was just f- normal and fine, and uh, God, they didn't deserve any of this. Day. <laughs> yeah, it's just brutal to this town. Yeah, and it, it, everybody in it. No, nobody ends well, uh, and it it really. It's sad, and it really is a bit of a gut punch, too, just having seen all of this death and having it mean mm-hmm. nothing. <laughs> yeah. Like, at least with the Purge movies, when they end, there's like, oh, we made it, and it's gonna be okay, and then they're like, next year, the Purge will be worse. And I'm like, yeah, but, like, that's next year. This is like, nothing's ever gonna be okay ever again, is it? And I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck. Yeah. But, uh, aside from the gloom and doom of this movie... I just really do want to highlight how well-paced, well-shot, well-performed. Like, God, this the, it's so good. It's such a intense Like, the reason it's movie. so heartbreaking is because yeah. it's so good. And, like, every single scene, like, the, the, tent, the tension is palpable. They really yeah. are able to build it. You know, like, all of those scenes were, like... It's just a character doing something, and then, like, the frame kind of uh, focuses on the background, and you just see a person standing there looking at him. You're like, oh, God, Mm -hmm. someone's there, like, crazed. Yeah. 
it, they really are just this director as much as he maybe doesn't have a very large resume especially when it comes to horror is able to to utilize tension and utilize the space like there's a lot of scary like almost zombie movie like techniques of like filming inside dark claustrophobic spaces um mm-hmm. a lot of very uh, intense hand to hand combat uh of course the makeup effects are haunting and and visceral but i think nothing really makes it more than just the way that the actors are able to um play these characters like every single mm-hmm. one gives it their all well and it's it's so fascinating because we follow such a small group for so much of this movie you right. really get to see these characters going through the realizations of so much that's happened to them in just 24 hours yeah throughout this it, entire movie it's really wild and you know i know that more often than not we're trying to market these movies to you know the squares out there um, I don't think everyone's going to have the same, like, very intense, like, soul-rendering experience that I have with this movie, because <laughs> mm-hmm. not everyone, like, asks themselves these questions on a regular basis like I do, but on aside from that, I feel like it still works as a really good action horror thriller. Yes, absolutely. I mean, what was your general vibe? I mean, you saw this for the first time today. What's the big marketability of this that maybe we haven't covered yet? So the big thing that I feel... I kind of was talking about this with one of my roommates after having watched it. This movie is kind of, for lack of a better example, this is what I really want the uh, Quiet Place Day One movie to be. Me too, man. Because it's just so interesting to see a town go from such a community-based place to some place that only so few can possibly survive in. It's seeing the, like, breakdown... It's essentially seeing how their um, effective toxin worked to destabilize a community. It works better than the government could have hoped for. And that's why they needed to destroy it. And they, they failed at it so badly so. that it goes beyond their con- their containment. Yeah, like that scene when they when they pulled over that guy, he was like, you know, it, it was designed to destabilize a population. In this case, the wrong population. Yeah, and I don't want to know how they tested it before to know that. Uh, but whatever the case may be, you know. Obviously, this is a very this is fictional. The virus, mm-hmm. I don't. I, there's nothing out there that could do this to people, um, which is reassuring. Obviously, to to know to know yes. that at least for me, Absolutely. it's like it's, it's not real. It's okay. Everything's fine. Um, and you know, again, it's like the government can't even fucking build a bridge right. Like they're not going to engineer. Mm-hmm weapons of mass destruction like this like it, it's kind of reassuring to know that the government's kind of inefficient a lot to know that yeah. they're not gonna be this like shadowy like always covering shit up nefariously like that's just they wish they were that effective and they love mm-hmm. for us they love that we think that they're like that because then it gives them carte blanche to just be like oh, they don't know that half the time we're just, like, taking long lunches and, like, going to golf courses and shit. <laughs> like, they shouldn't be doing that either. But it's nice to know that they're not doing, like, this type of crazy shit. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I don't know. That helps me sleep better at night. I don't know about everybody else. Um, I do want to say, uh, you know, uh, we apologize for the lateness of these episodes. We're big time transitioning. Uh, mm-hmm. Big life transitions are happening right now. Um, we've had to shuffle some stuff around for various reasons, especially with the next upcoming episodes. Um, mm-hmm. But we are very excited for what's coming up next um, in terms of episode 100, um, in terms of some uh, guest content that will be uh, floating around either sooner or later, depending on content. when certain guests get back to us. But uh, mm-hmm. that content will be coming. Um, our episode 100 content, guys, it's going to rule. You're going to love it so much. I'm very excited for it, man. It's, it's really something special. And what should they be excited for next week? And next week, you can tune in as we talk about another wonderful world of remakes with 2011's Fright Night. Yeah, hope you guys are horny for Colin Farrell because we were. We were. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. It's it's such a really good modern vampire movie. It's a completely stacked, out-of-left-field cast. And, man, it's just... Talk about a not fun really palate cleanser. Like, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> after this, not... it's real nice. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that we recorded that first, too. <laughs> Just yeah. to, like, really get all of the, the, the positivity for that. Um, but, yeah, thanks for hanging in there with us with this one. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at the underscore square horror podcast. You can reach us at squarehorrorpodcast at gmail.com. You can go ahead and follow us on Spotify. Thank you to everyone so far that has followed us on the socials or on Spotify. It helps us quite a bit. Yes. Um, I don't want to give anyone advice for this other than, like, it's not real. And um, Matt just really needs to, like, talk about his feelings to someone <laughs> professional <laughs> about his paranoia. Uh, but, yeah, trust your neighbors. Don't be afraid of them because uh, that... if. That lets the government slash the terrorists win if we're afraid of each other. I genuinely, genuinely believe that, you know. Especially in in times like this, we shouldn't be afraid of each other. We should be uh, trusting and and coming together um, because uh, it's the only way we're going to get better. Damn, that's so nice. Yeah, man. I need need optimism, too. (laughs) This is for me, too. (laughs) But I stand by it. I feel like it's very important to keep it in mind. Yeah, I agree. And for all you listeners out there, until next time, you stay spooky out there. Mm